BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Take almost any great American city, and you'll find somewhere in its history the water deal that let it grow. San Francisco's water is among the most famous in our country. John Muir and the Sierra Club battled the city over its plan to dam the Tuolumne River and flood Hetch Hetchy Valley. But the city won, the dam was built, and San Francisco has had a secure, high-quality supply for 100 years. But now, as climate change disrupts the cycles of wet and dry in the Sierra, is Hetch Hetchy still the water cheat code it's long been? We talk with KQED's Ezra David Romero and a panel of experts in our latest edition of Climate Fix, our partnership with our science team. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is our latest edition of Climate Fix, Forum's collaboration with KQED Science Team on Climate Change Solutions. Today we're talking about Hetch Hetchy, the shorthand for the water system that delivers Sierra runoff to the taps of San Franciscans and a couple million other folks on the peninsula. That system stretches over 150 miles. It takes over 80 hours for water release from the dam the Tuolumne River to reach the coffers of the San Francisco Public Utilities District, generating electric power along the way. This year marks the 100th anniversary of the completion of the O'Shaughnessy Dam, and over that time, the burning of fossil fuels has deranged the climate. So today we ask, what does that mean for Hetch Hetchy and the management of the water system that supplies a big chunk of the Bay Area's people? Joining us from the KQED science team, we've got Ezra David Romero. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. We're also joined by Samuel Sandoval Solis, professor at UC Davis in a cooperative extension specialist in water resources management with the Division of Agriculture and Natural Resources of the University of California. Welcome. Hey, good morning. Buenos dias. We're also joined by Nusha Ajami, president of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission and the chief development officer for research in earth and environmental sciences at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. Welcome, Nusha. Thank you. Good morning. So this is a 100-year anniversary, and Ezra, you went up to visit Hetch Hetchy recently. What's it like up there for people who haven't been? Well, the day I went up there, it was snowing, which was odd for May. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you go to Yosemite and you get to Hetch Hetchy Valley, 
it's kind of like prehistoric looking. You have these like giant mountains and um, granite domes that are jetting out of the water. Um, it looks kind of like Yosemite Valley on purpose because mm-hmm. people call it the twin sister of Yosemite Valley. And it's this beautiful place where there's a giant body of water where there once mm-hmm. wasn't. It's 100 years of that anniversary of that. Mm-hmm. So how did it become this water source for San Francisco and, you know, some of the surrounding areas? 1906, when the big earthquake rocked San Francisco, shook this place, there were already conversations going on about, like, how do we secure a reliable water source for all these people there here in San Francisco? And that 1906 earthquake happened, and then the, and then there was, like, this rush, this race to find a reliable resource, and they hired an engineer named O'Shaughnessy, and he found this place in Yosemite. And, you know, a lot of details between then and it becoming a reality a decade or two decades later, but then it became a reality, damming up water, this 424-foot or so dam that, you know, holds um, enough water for San Francisco for about a year and a quarter. Hmm. So... Nusha, you know, we know that the Hetch Hetchy system is more than just, you know, this dam and the water that it holds. It has to get from there to here. So can you talk about the water works that kind of send the water uh, to San Francisco? Sure. Um, so the water is collected behind the dam, which is mostly uh, snow melt water and the precipitation um, in different part, times of the year. And then uh, it's it leaves the dam, uh, goes through a pipeline, and then uh, makes it to San Francisco. One thing that's very interesting about the system is all gravity-fed, right? So it does not use any... Um, any additional electrons to move water from that location um, to San Francisco. And also, it along the way, generates clean energy, uh, which actually uh, lights up a lot of the... Um, a lot, of the, a lot of the lights and uh, activities that we do in the city of San Francisco, from airport to uh, street lights to all of the, you know, the Muni and uh, buses. So um, I think that one of the most interesting thing about the system is that it uses gravity to yeah. move water from location to location. Significant for, you know, listeners only because, uh, you know, some of the state's other water systems actually use a tremendous amount of uh, pumping in order to get water from one place to the other, right? And instead, this has the, like, reverse energy balance. It's, like, actually, like, adding electricity to the system. Absolutely. It's energy positive, right? So not only it doesn't require any energy or electrons to move it around, to move it to the city, it generates energy and additional energy that we use in the city and uh, the surrounding parts of the um, parts of our community. You know, another interesting thing about the system, too, is also its governance, right? I mean, in the old, old days of San Francisco, their water was privately controlled, and part of this whole process of building this water supply was also creating the Public Utilities Commission, right? Absolutely. I think um, that was the intention to make sure there's a municipal water supply for the city of San Francisco that can guarantee affordable, clean, drinkable water for the city and enable its growth and economic social growth that um, that right now we are all benefiting from. So uh, for sure, uh, that that model was very much of a innovative model across the state at the time, and and they managed to accomplish it. Um, it started with a uh, with the dam, and then we have they acquired some of the assets from the existing uh, investor-owned utility that was there at the time, and then uh, the rest is history. Yeah. 
We're talking about Hetch Hetchy. It's the 100-year anniversary of the completion of the O'Shaughnessy Dam up there on the Tuolumne River. We'd love to hear from you. How should water from Hetch Hetchy be managed? What are your questions about how this system works that delivers water to San Franciscans and a bunch of other people on the peninsula? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Hetch Hetchy, of course, the site of one of the most famous early environmental battles. If you're interested in that, you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. Um, Samuel, um, I'd love to hear from you. I mean, how do you think about this system going forward? Does it still function pretty much sort of as intended? No, 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 no. Um, I mean, the, the system was designed with 1900 hydrology. So, I mean, we have a different climate, uh, back then the operations, how, how it was designed is, is really different. And, and that affect many, many things that were kind of um, there by design. So the first one is that um, there is, a, if if nothing, a, actually a water quality, a, it is a pure system. Mm. And as we're moving forward into the future, I mean, we have a, a fires in, I'm, I'm assuming, I, if I remember correct, that was 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we have, fires that may affect some of the uh, chemicals, some of the charcoal coming into the into the reservoir that now it has to be treated. Uh-huh. Um, we're going to have now this uh, series of very dry years that are affecting the forest that may increase the severity of fires. And on the other side, right, we have all these now very wet conditions that now may bring all that uh, soil with fire or all those sediments into the into the reservoir that, that now will go again to uh, San Franciscans. So I think those those two things are are important to 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 think of. The reality is that this uh, uh, weather, the climate change that we are experiencing, that we're just a start kind of the tip of the iceberg. I think it it will get more uh, more prominent. Uh, we are we know that El Nino is coming. And traditionally, when we have a El Nino cycle, we may have a more water, or typically it is expected to have greater precipitation. So um, managing a system that it was eight out of the last 12 years in drought, and now might be two years back to back in wet conditions, might be uh, very difficult, something that we haven't, we haven't seen before. And just say, uh, also for the listeners and, and all of us, so, um, Hechechi, the name was, um, it, it was, uh, the name is from the Miwok, Miwok Indians. Mm-hmm. And it was um, for the type of grass with the ed- edible seeds that were there. So it comes, the name comes from from uh, our Miwok uh, native communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah, we're going to get more into um, sort of the governance and management of this water among the different um, people, including the the Miwok, who never ceded that land. Um, Nusha, I wanted to um, ask you a little bit about the improvements to the system over time, because there have been things that have been done, for example, a big one being tying in to other Bay Area water systems, right, over the last 20 years. Yeah, the system has def- certainly evolved over time. Remember, this dam was built uh, in uh, 
100 years ago, um, sort of using common practice of how to, how to secure water for a community, right? We built dams, we moved water to where people wanted to live, and um, that was common practice. And when we built this dam and some of the other dams that we have in this system, um, we actually set up a governance structure to manage the system at a time. Um, that system certainly has evolved over time. We have more, uh, we have a few other um, uh, reservoirs that have been added along the way. And also, um, uh, we, you know, we have now uh, recycling plants in the city. I'm going to uh, touch on them later. But the reality is the system has evolved. So has its management. For example, every water utility across the state and across the country, uh, their mission and vision is to provide reliable water to their community. Um, now, uh, you know, we are now living in a totally different world. Samuel uh, touched on that. We are dealing with extreme uh, weather conditions. We are dealing with climate change impacts from sea level rise to wildfires. We also are dealing with aging infrastructure. Remember, all these infrastructure that we have uh, was built in a different time, a long time ago. So it required constant operation and maintenance adjustment to make sure they can operate uh, to their highest quality at the time. And also, um, you know, we have very different environmental uh, requirements and regulations in place that, you know, want to make sure and guarantee ecosystem help, uh, health as uh, we move forward. So and on top of that, we have uh, social justice issues and affordability concerns. So these water systems are certainly facing a lot of these modern challenges that they were not designed to handle at the time. So, um, however, I would say um, many of these utilities are sort of grappling with this, and some has already put things in place to be able to manage their system more effectively. And San Francisco have, has been one of those. You know, we have um, just put in my... Um, uh, SFUC hat on, and I want to actually highlight... Uh, well, hold on, I'm going to need you to hold there. Sure. Um, we're talking about how climate change is impacting Hetch Hetchy with Nusha Ajami, president of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, Samuel Sandoval Solis, professor at UC Davis, Ezra David Romero, climate reporter with KQED. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal for our May installment of Climate Fix, which is our partnership with the KQED science team about rethinking solutions for California. We're talking about how climate change is impacting Hetch Hetchy. That's kind of the shorthand for the water system that develops Sierra water and delivers it to San Francisco. Um, we are joined this morning by Ezra David Romero, climate reporter with KQED, Nusha Ajami, president of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, as well as chief development officer for research in earth and environmental sciences at Lawrence Berkeley Lab, as, and Samuel Sandoval Solis, professor at UC Davis, working on water resources management. Um, let's take a call before we uh, keep going here. Monica in San Francisco, welcome. Yes, hi, thank you. Good morning. My question is is that as water is becoming more of a scarce resource, how does the state determine priorities? Does it go towards the communities where Hetch Hetch is located, still San Francisco, or does it go to serve agriculture? And is there a scenario in which San Francisco would be cut off from Hetch Hetch? And if so, what happens? Mm. So interesting. Ezra, let's start with you here on that broadest of questions, then we'll, we'll zoom in on Monica's other ones. Yeah, as we know, across California, there's water issues in reservoirs across the state. So there's need in the Central Valley and other places. And, you know, there's this pipeline that goes from Hachichi to San Francisco, cuts through communities, you know, that are dealing with contamination issues, water issues. And so, you know, people like Samuel have talked to me about how, you know, maybe some of that water can go to some of these places. And, and, and people like Nusha tell me that would be very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. So there is this tension about how to do that. Um, and it does come down to water rights and who has rights to that water. And San Francisco has these rights to this water from the Hetch Hetchy area. So, so the answer is yes and no mm-hmm. in some way. But I think Nusha could add more. Yeah. I, well, maybe let, let's first get sure. like Sorry. the case. Uh, let's first get the case for some reform of water rights. I mean, we have this situation with communities in the Central Valley who don't have access to clean water, despite California having passed a law enshrining human right to to clean water, and they don't have it in local communities. Um, Samuel, can you tell us a little more about what you might suggest or what what options might be on the table? So, I mean, uh, just to uh, answer in the question, um, I mean, the one who has a a water right for for that is... uh, San Francisco, San Francisco Public Utility Commission. Uh, now, that is the right. I'm, I'm not sure about the responsibility because if uh, I, I typically say that don't do to the downstream user whatever you don't want the upstream user uh, do to you, right? Hmm. So, I mean, that's uh, that's our responsibility. There are different communities along the pipeline that, um, yeah, just see the, the clean water path the snowmelt water pass, and yet they are uh, taking water from the ground with pesticides and fertilizers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think, so one other thing is that water for uh, the system for the Hechechi Aqueduct, uh, about uh, a third is used for San Francisco and the other uh, two-thirds is sell. So uh, if people from San Francisco is thinking that they're going to run out of water, uh, that is very unlikely because most of the water is not used in, in the county of San Francisco, in the city of San Francisco. Um, I do think this is, uh, there, is the, there should be a reform because uh, all the externalities, all the negative effects were passing it to others. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there is a need for providing water to San Francisco and also the human right to water. Every Californian has the right to water. 
Um, there is also the, the responsibility of, of Californians and in general of all Californians, of San Franciscans, San Franciscans and all Californians to um, help help each other. And in this one is to provide water along the way to the different disadvantaged communities and the indigenous communities that uh, we displace from there and, and, and take the water from. Yeah. You know, Nisha, um, I, I want you to answer this, and I'm going to tack on one question at the end, sure. which is, how can concerns like this be baked into what you all actually like have to do at the SF Public Utilities Commission, right? Because they're sort of like what would be nice, but then actually making that a part of the mission if you think that's something that should happen. Sure. So I just want to clarify, I can't speak on behalf of the commission, right? I'm one of the commissioners mm-hmm. and uh, here I'm speaking as an expert uh, for sure. But just going back to the mission and vision of the utility, um, obviously reliable water, providing reliable water supplies for San Francisco and the wholesalers that depend on this water, 26 water agencies in the peninsula, mm-hmm. uh, uh, lies upon SFPUC. Um, and over the time, it definitely there, the, we had, you know, the commission or the SFPUC has evolved. Uh, they focus on environmental stewardships, trying to um, focus on uh, social challenges that exist, uh, ecosystem health, a lot of different uh, uh, sort of mm-hmm. new, uh, perp- you know, Goals have been added and yeah. objectives has been added, which is, you know, which is great. You know, we have a lot of uh, programs right now happening in San Francisco and beyond to make sure we help the communities that we touch along the way from the upper watershed all the way to the San Francisco um, area. You know, we uh, we have affordability programs in place. We have uh, water stewardship programs in place. We work with the National Park to make sure that, um, you know, the watershed is protected in many different ways, providing resources to them. So it's a, it's, it is for sure a partnership that is happening all the way from the upper watershed all the way to San Francisco. So um, so that's really important. Now, um, it is challenging, I would say. Like, let's imagine a day that the water is not coming out of people's tabs. If people, if that day happens, everybody was going to look at water uh, SFPUC and say, what happened? Your job was to provide reliable water supplies for us, and you failed in your uh, one single job you know, mm-hmm. mission that you, you had. had just one thing to do. Yeah. Yes, one thing to do. Right. So uh, having said that, obviously, the governance structure has evolved over time, as I em- emphasize this multiple times. And, and, you know, we are not the only ones who are dealing with this. It's every utility across the state is dealing with this challenge and uh, needs to kind of go back and look at their um, sort of governance structure to make sure they can meet the challenges, the challenges that they're facing today. All right, we're going to add another guest for a bit. Peter Dreckmeyer is the policy director of the Tuolumne River Trust. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, So, Peter, you have a different set of concerns from the ones that we've been talking about. From your perspective, what are the River Trust's major concerns with how Hetch Hetchy is managed? Well, it's not just Hetch Hetchy. There are, there's another large dam downstream, Don Pedro, which is owned and operated by a couple of agricultural irrigation districts. And humans divert four out of five gallons from the Tuolumne River. As a result, the salmon population is worse off than any other Central Valley River. And it's not just about salmon because there are keystone species. They bring 
nutrients from the ocean to the upland habitats and they fuel the food web. So it's really about preserving a salmon-based ecosystem. And we're supporting efforts uh, by the state to restore rivers like the Tuolumne and the San Francisco Bay Delta. And we have met a lot of opposition from the SFPUC. So we're trying to encourage them to become better stewards and leave more water in the river, which they can easily do without risking running out. Yeah, talk, talk to me about what you'd actually like to, to see change, right? I mean, we you just want basically higher levels of outflow, particularly during a time like this where there's a lot of water in the reservoir. Well, yeah, flows are really important for water temperature. The native fish have evolved to live in colder water. Um, more water is needed to inundate floodplains, which is crit- critical habitat for the juvenile fish. There aren't predators there. Uh, there's more food. Um, the Bay Delta, which is in a state of ecological collapse, needs more freshwater inflow. So we're trying to address those issues. And actually, with the theme of climate change, I have um, some rare good news that most people haven't heard. But a year and a half ago, the SFPUC released a climate change study called the Long-Term Vulnerability Assessment. And this was prepared by all the experts, uh, SFPUC staff, it was a three quarter of a million dollar study. And the key takeaway was that we might expect warming to increase by two to four degrees Celsius with no clear direction of change in mean annual precipitation. And what that means is we'll have wetter periods, we'll have drier periods like we've been experiencing, but overall precipitation isn't expected to change much. And the SFPUC is really well positioned for this because they have a lot of reservoir storage. Um, That storage was conceived at a time when water demand was projected to be twice what it is today. So Hetch Hetchy is only a quarter of their storage. And at full storage, there's enough water to last six years. So even during this recent three-year, very dry period, driest on record, the SFPUC never had less than four years worth of water and storage. Hmm. So uh, we haven't heard much about this because it doesn't agree with the SFPUC narrative that they can't afford to leave more water in the river without risking severe water shortages. And in 2018, the state water board updated the Bay Delta Water Quality Control Plan, and they adopted higher in-stream flows, which were immediately challenged by lawsuits, including the SFPUC. And we took a look, we analyzed the SFPUC situation, and we found that at current demand, they could manage the six-year drought of record, which was 1987 to 1992, with the Bay Delta plan flows in place, without requiring any rationing and without developing any new alternative water supplies like recycled water. Um, And then the question became, it's like, well, what about climate change? And now we know that climate change isn't going to have a very severe impact on the SFPUC for a lot of other water agencies, it will. So, well, let's bring this. Let's bring this to Nusha. I know you say you can't represent all of the commissioners on the you know SF Public Utilities Commission, but you are the president. And the the question is: Is climate change being used as a fig leaf to essentially paper over or um, allow the PUC to do what it? what it would like to do anyway um, uh, without you know taking into account the the fish to an adequate degree in the way that um, uh, Peter was describing. Yeah, I appreciate that comment. I just want to say, um, Peter mentioned at the beginning of his statement that 
um, the, uh, we do not own and operate Don Pedro, which actually is impacting the, the you know, that, that dam has impact on Lower Tuolumne, which is experiencing some um, ecosystem challenges. But we really cannot say, we really have no say on how much water is released from Don Pedro when it's released. We only have uh, power over what we do with Hetch Hetchy, which we have gone above and beyond to make sure we release um, enough water for the ecosystem, even go release even more, um, more than expected in many years. Uh, we have scientists in place to, um, you know, a lot of uh, experts that have been looking at uh, hydrological patterns, climate patterns, how we can change the operation of the system. Um, yes, the average might not change, but the reality is the amount of precipitation we receive from one year to another can be very different. And that is what that's what climate change is about. Like, how do you manage extremes? The average doesn't really mean anything if you all of a sudden one year you have a year like this, that you have 300% above average um, snowpack, and you have years that you ha- get no snowpack or snow evaporates uh, in one instant without even mm-hmm. making any runoff. So it's important to remember the difference between averages and extremes. And we manage these reservoirs for um, not for averages, but actually to man- to handle different extremes that they're experiencing. And um, so th- I guess that's... Well, let me, oh, yeah, I yeah. was going to ask, I mean, I mean the, the question becomes, right, I think everyone would probably agree that you need a buffer. Yep. Right. Um, the question is sort of right. The, the the meat of this disagreement is really over what size of that buffer, right? Yeah. No, actually, look, we again, as I said, uh, through Hitchhiking, we we do release um, above what's expected of us, and uh, the water that comes down to the Bay Area is sort of distributed. So we have some flexibility in the reservoirs and spaces and, and the storage that we have in the Bay Area to make sure we can create enough buffer to manage different different uh, extreme situations that we may see. At least we have seen so far. Um, now. What comes next, we don't know. It's anybody's guess. Uh, uh, but the reality is we have been managing um, Hetch to with ecosystem health in mind. And, and again, we have no power over Don Pedro and how much water is released from it. So I can't really comment on that. And I don't think the commission has a lot of... Um, uh, you know, power over how that system is operated. And look... Uh, we have been one one thing I want to say, which I think sort of goes to the to the question that Peter was also asking is we have been trying to build partnerships across the way, as I mentioned earlier, and one of that has been with the uh, water districts, the um, ag districts that we that would shared. be Turlock Irrigation District and Modesto yes. Irrigation District building partnerships with them and and that those through those partnerships you never know we might be able to um, come up with different strategies that can help everybody but at the end of the day this is the age and the era to build partnerships and uh, collaborate across the world, world instead of fighting and i think that's that's has been our motto and will be as we move forward yeah. Um, let's get to another caller. Just wanted to know for people, if you are interested in that, uh, in look into how the Turlock and Modesto irrigation districts are, are governed. It's like quite different than you might expect. All right. Terrence in San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, so San Francisco is an interesting place um, with the most expensive water rates in the country of any similar size city. Uh, a few years ago, there was a massive infrastructure upgrade, um, and the rates doubled. Um, we are currently 
um, having a 10% increase that's being uh, talked about. And I think that it, it's very interesting that we are having such a, with the most expensive water, and we get a 10% increase, mm-hmm. um, and there's a billion-dollar budget deficit in the city. It just seems like a really unfortunate tax on the poor uh-huh. in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, Terrence, thank you for that that question. Obviously, Nisha, bringing up the other kinds of considerations that you're trying to balance here. Talk to us a little bit more about the rates. Yeah, so uh, the rate increase that uh, the caller mentioned, that's uh, we have a hearing about it next week, and that's on stormwater and wastewater. So it's not on the... Um, uh. on. Um, the drinking water side, and I can't really comment on that since it's going to be a hearing, and everybody is welcome sure. to join and um, talk to us about it. One thing I would say is we do not have the most expensive water. I actually, on my day job, I do look at water rates and um, and the cost of water, and we really do not have the most expensive water um, in in nation. And uh, but one thing we do have is we have the lowest water use. In the bay, in California for urban areas, and actually one of the lowest in the nation. So that is really important to remember. And also, again, if you want to, these these systems, as I mentioned earlier, hundred years old or even older in some cases, and they have to be operated and maintained to its highest quality in order to be able to deliver the services um, that we are um, obligated to do. So. Um, you know, we do need to make sure we have the resources to operate it. One other thing I would say is San Francisco's budget is separate from uh, uh, cities' uh, budget shortfall. So we are not necessarily interacting with each other. We have our own revenue stream and uh, we operate the system based on that. Uh, we're checking out our uh, show on the San Francisco budget. If you're if you're interested in how all that stuff works, um, this is our May installment of Climate Fix: Rethinking Solutions for California. That's Forum's partnership with our KQED Science team here at the station. Today, we're talking about the Hetch Hetchy system and how it is or is not going to be affected by climate change going forward. We're joined by Nusha Ajami, president of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission and chief development officer of research in earth and environmental sciences at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. Ezra David Romero, climate reporter with KQED. Samuel Sandoval Solis, a professor at UC Davis working on water resources management. And Peter Dreckmeyer, policy director at the Tuolumne River Trust. We got a full board of calls here. We'll get to as many as we can after the break. Um, You might want to try forum at kqed.org, or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum there. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Climate Fix, Rethinking Solutions for California, our collaboration here at Forum with our science team at the station. We're talking about Hetch Hetchy, the dam, the system, all the things surrounding it. It's been 100 years since the O'Shaughnessy Dam was completed up there. We're joined by Ezra David Romero, climate reporter with KQED, Nusha Ajami, president of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, Samuel Sandoval Solis, professor at UC Davis, and Peter Dreckmeyer, policy director with the Tuolumne River Trust. We've got a call on the line, Matt in San Rafael. Welcome. Hi there. I just have a question. Um, from an engineering standpoint, could the capacity of uh, Hetch Hetchy be increased and uh, by how much? I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks, Matt. Um, I think this would go to you, Nusha. Uh, when the dam was designed, it certainly, um, the, you know, it was it was assumed that it can be expanded if needed. I, I honestly don't think we, uh, that in this day and age, will do that. So, um so I don't think that's really on the table, at least not at this time. It was like 55 feet um, in the original plans. And when you're at Hetch Hetchy, you can see the 55 feet. And I asked the engineer about it. And other past commissioners, Susan Leal, um, think it can be a possibility, but would be a huge environmental fight in this day and age where you would have to flood 55 more feet um, height of of yeah. this beautiful resource. Yeah. And one one other thing I would say is, in the Bay Area, we are actually looking at a lot of alternative water supplies. San Francisco actually is the only city in the nation who has <laughs> recycling at every scale. We have building scale recycling, um, city scale recycling plants that are being built, and regional scale recycling. So we are really looking at a lot of alternative water supplies as a ways of sort of meeting um, potential future needs for water. And, and to be honest with you, because our water supply, water demand is very low, which is fantastic, um, you know, that might, that day might not come that soon. So, mm-hmm. but however, we are definitely planning for that. Yeah. And, um, you know, Samuel, I would assume that this is not uh, something that, given the riverine ecosystems up there, that would be something you would want to do or you'd want them to do. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. And, and one of the things is that, so it may be more costly to actually expand the dam because all the materials, all the restoration, all what you have to do there, that what Nusha is mentioning, because the water is already there in San Francisco. You you don't have to transport it yet. It is gravity fed. I, I agree. But making sure that the community gets involved and see the water works in, in, in the city, in the, in the bay, is really important because it helps with the belonging. Hmm. So in addition to the environmental cost and the economic cost, uh, going for a for a dam all the way back in in Hechechi Valley, it may be way more more expensive than water that is already being treated. That now we need to uh, bring it back again into the system to reuse it. That water is already there. We we just need to 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 utilize it better. And as Nusha is mentioning, there are many different programs that they, that they are doing well for for that. Um, I, it's not that I'm against increasing the the dam. What I what I am uh, against is just to go to the most expensive solution when we can actually do mm. some other solutions and at the same time consider uh, other values such as the environment that now we mm-hmm. uh, were taking care taking more care. Yeah. 
You know, Ezra, I mean, part of it is, right, just for, for those of us who are not, you know, deeply inside the water world, we hear about, oh, okay, well, there's going to be, you know, these dry years, and there's going to be wet years, there's going to be dry years, there's going to be wet years. And it seems like, you know, the most ev- you know, the most obvious solution is, oh, well, d- wouldn't you just build a bigger storage bathtub, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, California already has more than 1,500 reservoirs. So, like, the common quote I hear from water experts is all the good places are taken. So if we build more reservoirs, um, we'd have to, like, pump water into those. And as we heard earlier, that's, like, you know, can increase climate change and, you know, can create more emissions and um, takes a lot of energy to do that. Um, So what I hear from experts and all the time is that the greatest thing we can do is to conserve water, number one. Um, And that's really important for this Hetch Hetchy Reservoir system because while San Francisco, San Franciscans only use about 40 gallons per day, you know, that water serves 2.7 million people and not all of that water goes to San Francisco, right? There's only like Mm -hmm. 900,000 people here. Um, But some cities uh, around the Bay Area where that water goes don't use that water in the same way. A study came out from SFEI, the San Francisco Estuary, I mean, uh, Spur, a few years ago, um, this think tank um, by Laura Feinstein. And uh, she was saying that, you know, a community like Hillsborough in the peninsula uses 190 gallons per day, and that's Mm -hmm. the same water. So the thought is maybe there needs to be like larger standards or stricter standards across mm-hmm. all those water users and not just in San Francisco, but maybe SFPUC or some other um, entity needs to mandate that. Yeah. Hey, Peter uh, Dreckmeyer, policy director with the Tuolumne River Trust. I mean, what are your other solutions around this? Is it, you know, what are the other things that you would want to have happen? You want to have more water flowing through, you know, there's multiple dams, complex system, the other things that we heard earlier. Are there other things that your organization is advocating for? Uh, quite a few. And, and to the issue of recycled water, San Francisco is way behind other major water agencies. Uh, but there's going to be a real driver, which is that toxic algae bloom that happened in the Bay last summer that killed many, many fish, uh, was caused in part by nutrients from wastewater entering the Bay. And there are going to be regulations that require those nutrients to be taken out. And that's going to really drive recycling water, I believe. And I think the reason San Francisco hasn't prioritized recycled water is they don't really feel the need for it. Um, Following the 87 to 92 drought, where they got really low on water, they adopted a policy called the design drought, which combines the two worst uh, droughts of the last century together at demand that is 30% higher than it is today. And that's driven their policies. and we feel that if they just removed a year from the design drought and used actual demand projections, they could easily meet the in-stream flows of the Bay Delta plan. And it was commented earlier that, well, that's you know controlled by the, the irrigation districts. But San Francisco chose to participate in two lawsuits. And it might be in part because they have a contractual obligation with the irrigation districts dating back to 1995 that they will follow their lead on fish flows. So it appears that they have compromised San Francisco's ability to think and act in, along the values of its environmental constituents um, and have ceded that right to the irrigation districts. We have a real problem with that. So let's, um, 
Let's introduce another element of complexity into this because the system's so simple as it is. <laughs> Adrian writes, water demand isn't static. The area served by the SFPUC is legally required to build about 250,000 new housing units over the next eight years. That's going to create new water demand. How will the commission meet this new demand? Given Nusha's comments on San Franciscans are already among the most frugal water users in the U.S., how much more water can realistically be created from more conservation. So, Nusha, this is almost like, I'm not going to say it's uh, something on the other side of this, but it's just probably another thing you're trying to balance in your work right now. Yeah, I think one thing I would say is um, my on the research side, uh, my team had worked for many years on demand and projecting demand. And what we have seen is population growth and economic growth has not had any impact on uh, increasing demand, partly because we have become a lot more efficient over the years. We are using a lot less water to do the same thing. And actually, new homes that we are building are much more efficient. They use a lot less water. Now, um, we still have, um, as Ezra mentioned, communities that use water outdoors. And I think, you know, over the these over this past two severe droughts that we have had, the amount of outdoor water use has dropped significantly in the Bay Area. However, there are still some that needs to be sort of um, curbed. Um, but ultimately, uh, and also remember, if we do a lot more on-site to reuse, we are reducing demand baseline in a way. So basically creating circular economy around water, using water over and over be- and sort of going beyond the system we have, which water sort of comes in once, we use it once, flush it down our toilets and goes away. Um, So sort of creating this circular uh, model um, can actually... reduce our demand on the na- on the system that we have, sort of uh, make it more resilient and also potentially meet future demands. One, one other thing I want to say is, remember, every infrastructure that we built can be expensive. So Ezra mentioned this, but I want to reemphasize conserving and being being mindful the way we use water is the cheapest and most affordable way of meeting our future demand. And remember, affordability is also on the table as we are talking about providing water for this uh, 2.7 million people that we have. And um, and we have that in mind as we are ta- uh, exploring different alternative water supplies because we have to balance the fact that we want to provide reliable water supplies for everybody. We want to maintain our uh, infrastructure to its best health. We want to ma- uh, oper- you know, uh, meet ecosystem needs, but also we want to make sure our people have access to affordable water um, over the years to come. So we have a lot of different si- uh, objectives that we have to meet simultaneously and um and all of that is something we think about every day. But I would say for sure I'm not worried about future um, you know, housing needs and not having enough water to meet that because mm-hmm. we still have a lot more to save. Mm-hmm. Um, listener Jeff uh, writes in to say, Hetch Hetchy has a unique regulatory system in that it's not overseen by anyone in particular and predates the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. People might know this. FERC. Can Commissioner Ajami talk about why San Francisco gets to play by different rules? And, you know, Jeff wants to know whether that's fair. I'm not sure we are playing with different rules. We we are, um, uh, we have to meet FERC requirements and uh, you know, this system was uh, built and designed for the city of San Francisco, and we operated uh, mm-hmm. with that in mind. I, you know, we play, we have to meet all sort of regulatory requirements, federal or state level requirements. And, and I think, uh, you know, P- 
Peter also mentioned, we, we are facing more stringent uh, environmental regulations and we have been trying to meet them as they come. And, um, you know, uh, we have been uh, sort of partnering with federal and state uh, regulators to make sure we, you know, we are good stewards of the system that we have and we, have, we are operating it to meet the regu- regulations we are facing. So I'm not necessarily sure we are playing... Um, in a different bathtub than others. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sam, I wanted to ask you, you know, if we take like a like a big, big step back and we look at the water rights system that exists in California right now, I mean, are there things that can actually be done and like who would do them to like reform that system kind of at a major level? Because it was created at a time when we know, you know, that the, the structures in place were, were outright racist against pretty much everybody. Um, And we know that that's kind of like the water rights system that we have. It's from that era. Yeah. And and again, uh, as I was mentioning, I mean, the the name of the valley is just based on a a native community. So, I mean, I I think we prevent them to uh, obtain land who later prevent them to obtain water. And uh, we have a a massacre of of our, our native community. So I think if there is anything that can be done, it it will have to be done from uh, from the governor all the way to the mm-hmm. um, the entire people, the entire Californians to the water boards, right? To mm-hmm. to reform it, I do I do think that bringing our native communities, enforcing the human right to water, that everyone has a, a human right to water, um, making sure that our uh, environments. Uh, have a, a an upper hand and that they can negotiate um, be able to deal with the agriculture that will give a, a an important incentive for agriculture to actually uh, take good care of the environment mm. if we reverse that one uh, in that case the largest use of water agriculture that will have a very good incentive to make sure that the environment is well so they can have a, a part of the of the water that is in the system. So wh- when when you ask me like really big picture and and this is this is not something that hasn't happened somewhere else. Uh, if you if we look at the Murray Darling Basin in in Australia, which is also a, a, a semi-arid a Mediterranean climate, they they switched that around and 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 that have give a, a conditions for for agriculture to. To, to be very interested in the environment and, and not to disregard. I, again, if, if all of us have breakfast in the morning, we value agriculture. Um, however, some of the types, some of the, the type and the size of agriculture that we are seeing in California is one that is not, not all the times environmentally or socially responsible. Mm-hmm. And, and I think any, any agricultural company that works on that, it's, uh, that is socially environmentally responsible, I'm, I'm with it. But mm-hmm. some of the ones that we're seeing, they are not. Yeah. Let's squeeze in uh, one last caller. David in San Francisco, welcome. Hey, Alexis, how you doing? Thanks for having me. I love your show. We'll listen every day. Hello, uh, forum uh, panel. My question is, um, I'm piggybacking on Jeff's comment about San Francisco playing by alternate rules. Since the dam was created inside the National Park illegally in 19, after 1906, what would the impact on San Francisco's water be if we remove the dam mm-hmm. and restore the 
majestic uh, valley back to its natural um, setting. Yeah. Thank you for that uh, question, David. I mean, this has been uh, something that's been come up uh, many times um, over the course of Hetch Hetchy's existence. Um, uh, Nusha Jami, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what has happened historically with trying to remove uh, this dam? I just want to say this: the dam was built legally, not illegally. So it's really important to remember that there's the, there was a um, legislation that passed through the Congress to enable that um, the building of the dam. So um, to uh, want to make sure that to clarify that. But look, the dam has been there for a hundred years. There's a new there's new ecosystem, a new set of um, uh, setups that every you know the environment depends on at this point. Uh, the whole entire San Francisco Bay Area cannot exist without um, accessing this water. Um, the Silicon Valley cannot exist. The biotech that we have cannot exist. The financial, um, um, you know, hub that we are cannot exist. People who live here cannot exist. So the reality is, we have created this new system that we all depend on and has been there for hundred years. Um, Actually, another anecdote to remember is if you speak to some of the native communities in the uh, close to the dam, they actually love the dam because it has stopped humans to disrupt that uh, that area. It has kept its peace and um, and uh, uh, and sort of keeps keeps a lot of the population away, and they really like that because um, it uh, sort of has keep, kept that watershed untouched. So it's something else to remember. Um, I don't necessarily think uh, we can maintain what we have uh, here with uh, restoring Kachachi. And I, I think, you know, obviously people are out there who uh, promote that idea, but I can't see something like that would happen. Yeah, and it went to a vote of the people of San Francisco about, what, about 10 years ago yes. or so, and, and I think it lost 75-25. Yeah. 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 Um, one one last thing I would say is, remember, a lot, everybody who depends on this water, they open their tab, water comes out, they use it. They don't think a minute about what it takes to bring the water to them. There's a lot of people in work mm-hmm. behind the scenes to make this happen. And I want to make sure I acknowledge that because it, it is a hard job to have um, to operate the system to the level it is. Yeah. So, Thank you so much. This has been our latest installment of Climate Fix, Rethinking Solutions for California, our monthly collaboration with KQED Science Team. We've been talking about how climate change is impacting Hetch Hetchy with Samuel Sandoval Solis, professor at UC Davis. Nusha Jami, president of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. Ezra David Romero, a climate reporter at KQED. And Peter Dreckmeyer, policy director of the Tuolumne River Trust. Thank you so much to all of our guests, all of our callers, all of our commenters. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Scott Schaefer. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.